Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Yokohama Avid Ascend LX. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. The Volume. Hi, everybody. Welcome in to the Wednesday morning podcast. I'm going to have on an old friend, Greg McElroy, is the former quarterback in the NFL and very well known as a national championship uh, quarterback for the Alabama Crimson Tide. He's now a very popular radio show host down in the South. And uh, we're going to bring him on today and uh, shoot the bull for about 20, 30 minutes about the college football season. I have not been this fired up for college football in a long time, uh, even though my beloved Pac-12 conference is circling the drain. Um, that was fairly inevitable and predictable. But Greg McElroy, in a few minutes, you know, I was thinking about last year's uh, preseason exhibition season and all the years I've been doing talk radio. It was the slowest preseason of all time because Sean McVay several years ago, as I've noted multiple times, stopped playing starters and all these young coaches followed suit. So the only story we had last year in the preseason was Kenny Pickett, who, you know, was a good college quarterback, not stupendous he wasn't a, a hot uh caleb williams andrew luck trevor lawrence uh prospect not even a kyler murray Deshaun watson baker Mayfield prospect he's a solid guy who had a lot of college starts and i remember thinking after about two weeks of kenny pickett discussion thank god he plays for the steelers uh what if he had played for the jaguars there was just no story this year's preseason feels entirely different. First of all, there's three first-round quarterbacks. All could succeed. But I do think one of them's fascinating, Anthony Richardson for the Colts, not only because at 6'5", 255, he is Big Ben, Cam Newton-like, Josh Allen-like, where he will just be such a force, a productive force running the football with that new offensive coach, Shane Steichen, a brilliant guy who had Herbert and Jalen Hurts. So I think the Colts are going to be a fascinating watch. I don't think they're going to be a great team. But between Jonathan Taylor, the running back, and Anthony Richardson, I think they're going to catch people off guard. I think they're going to look like Cam's rookie year, although he's not as polished as Cam. Uh, Big Ben, a little Josh Allen, and a little Lamar Jackson. It's going to be all of that mixed into one. So I think that's fascinating. I think Bryce Young is interesting because Frank Reich is one of those coaches that didn't get a ton of credit because he had reclamation projects. He had to clean up Andrew Luck, clean up Phillip Rivers, clean up Carson Wentz. All three, three for three, Frank Reich did an amazing job. Now he gets a rookie, Bryce Young, who I think was head and shoulders above the other quarterbacks coming into this draft. I'm fascinated by that. Also, uh, in this preseason, Sean Payton has said, I'm going to play Russell Wilson. Really interesting. My guess is Russell reverts to about 75 to 80% of what he was at his prime, but I don't think he's as good. I think quarterbacks that move get hit more, quarterbacks that get hit more um, age much quicker. I mean, Big Ben got old fast. Cam got old fast. Um, I, you know, I was talking to Michael Vick on FS1 yesterday, 
And it was about, you know, year five or six that Michael Vick, the fastest player in the league, couldn't outrun Carolina's outside linebacker, Thomas Davis. And that's when Michael realized, okay, everything's changed. So I think this preseason's got a lot of stories. Not to mention, I think week one, Buffalo and the Jets and Aaron Rodgers. Listen, man, you look at that Jet schedule, and that's a tough matchup with Buffalo. Very good front seven. Very good pass rush. Jets start 0-1-1. Fair or not, there's going to be heat on Aaron Rodgers because their early schedule for six games is a gauntlet. So I feel differently about this August. I'm, I'm excited for it. Last year, I felt like I was just trying to fill space. But Anthony Richardson, a Bryce Young, a Russell Wilson, all really interesting to me. And the other one I'd throw out there that I, I find myself kind of rooting for is Mac Jones of the Patriots. Uh, I, I contend that Mac Jones is as good as Kenny Pickett, not as athletic, doesn't run as well. I think he throws a better football. And I thought, um, I thought the organization completely got in Mac Jones' way last year. I, I think Mac Jones is going to revert to a good B quarterback, sort of a Kirk Cousins with maybe a little better arm. I think Mac Jones, maybe not quite as accurate, but a little better arm. And if Mac Jones becomes Kirk Cousins, then Bill Belichick's back on track and can make the playoffs and win playoff games, maybe the division. So this preseason, pro football, fired up. Well, Greg McElroy was at the very early stages of the Alabama um, dynasty. And the early stages of the dynasty, quarterbacks got no effing credit. <laughs> it was all defense. Now, it's not about linebackers and safeties and corners. Now, Saban, the brilliant um, man that he is, has really pivoted and transitioned to more of an offensively dynamic um, dynasty. And, and, and Greg, I want to bring you in on this. The world changed, and a lot of people, Greg, don't change with the world. And I got to give Saban a lot of credit. About the time Lane Kiffin got there, he started really, really upping his game with offensive players. When he started, your, your years, it was McLean the linebacker. It was corners. It was, right? right. And guys like you were like, well, it, it, Greg just hands the ball off. And I always feel like, no, Greg actually played in the league. Greg was really good. But when you look at it now, <laughs> there are some remnants of it. But when did you notice that it really pivoted to more of a USC feeling dynasty or a, 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 you know, a Mac Brown dynasty where the offense is a 60-40 advantage? I mean, I think it's it's well observed. It had to have been 14 when Lane Kiffin came in. And may, and it's easy to look at it through the lens of the USC because that's where Lane <laughs> came from. So right. they really started to acknowledge there was a time and a shift in college football at that time where Ole Miss was starting to roll a little bit and they needed to kind of start scoring some points. Auburn had just been to the national championship in 2013 on the heels of a high octane high tempo offense that really created a lot of conflict for the defense. I think coach Saban started to realize, man, it's going to be really hard to win games 21, 13 moving forward. So we're going to have to get real comfortable winning games 42, 41, which he's had to do a couple of times. Right. Now I actually think Colin where it's starting to go back though, because teams can now simulate with their scout teams, yeah. the tempo. 
They can simulate the quarterback play. They can simulate the run pass options. But what they can't simulate is incredible offensive line play, a fullback that's coming at you 100 miles an hour and blowing up your middle linebacker. So I actually think the pendulum's starting to shift back the other way. And we've kind of seen that with Nick Saban's hire of Tommy Reese because at Notre Dame, we knew what he was all about. It was three yards in the cloud of dust right downhill until you liked it. So I wonder if you're sensing something similar in college football as well. Well, I, I, I say um, you can't really look at Georgia and say we could duplicate that. Okay, so right. the state of Georgia. <laughs> you better recruit. You better, you better be able right. to get some dudes in on defense. Georgia was that. always the sleeping giant in college football. I mean, for years and years, you would talk to NFL scouts, and they're like, why doesn't Georgia win more? Um, you know, we always know that the state of Alabama, Louisiana, Florida, Texas, California have a lot of players. Ohio. Right. Georgia now has as many D1 players as California, and you have a third of the population or a quarter of the population. So I don't think Georgia is something you can duplicate. They do remind me a little of Alabama early, where it's a defensive culture um, with very capable quarterbacks who are going to get drafted. You, A.J. McCarron, maybe not superstars, maybe not like like a a Caleb Williams or a Vince Young, but right. it's a defensive-leaning culture. I just think they recruit at a different level, and Georgia's always been a sleeping giant. Um, but, I, you know, I, I've said this for years, um, even though I work at Fox and we have the Big Ten, and I said this for years when I worked at ESPN. People, SEC dominates recruiting, draft day, and Saturday. Get over it. Uh, it's It's the best <laughs> conference. Here's, though, what's really fascinating. By including Texas and Oklahoma, and I think specifically Texas, that's another game on the schedule that's going to be, it's becoming an arms race. Texas money, Texas coaching. I know the SEC fan thumps their chest, but do you really want to face LSU, Georgia, Florida, Texas in one season? Is there anybody in the (laughs) South that's going, this isn't, potentially, and you're going to add Clemson and Florida State here in the next 18 months as well. Could you become just too rich? You're the AFC. You're too powerful. There's too many stars. I mean, I, I think that there are programs, Mississippi State, a good example. When the schedules came out for the 24 season, Mississippi State didn't have Alabama on the schedule. They didn't have many of their SEC West foes, and they were doing parades through the middle of Starkville. But but hang on, that's your closest team as far as proximity is concerned, even more, even closer as far as just straight mileage from Starkville to Tuscaloosa than it is to Oxford, Mississippi, where Ole Miss resides. And they said, no, 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 we don't want to play them. So I think for some, they are a little bit, not want to say intimidated, but it's they kind of acknowledge where they are at in the pecking order. But I also think, too, if players are going to flock to it, and the money's going to be there. But we look at the big – I mean, the Big Ten is comparable. Yes. I mean, I think, I think Wisconsin's an unbelievable program with tremendous history and success. We know what Michigan is. We know what Ohio State is. I've seen Michigan State at their best, even though they didn't have their best that day, but they were 11-win team 10, 12 years ago, playoff team back in 15. SC is, I think – you referenced Georgia as a sleeping giant. SC, to me, has been the sleeping giant for two decades because there was a time when I was 15 years old when I never thought I'd see them lose a game. I think UCLA is dangerous because Chip Kelly now in the NIL era with his NFL pedigree understands how to work that system. Washington, 
is just getting started under Kellen DeBoer. So I don't think there's one right now that is significantly more difficult than the other. I think the SEC's bottom is better than the Big Ten's bottom. But at the top, you have very capable programs with tremendous resources at their disposal. Um, as a Pac-12 diehard and loyalist, uh, I had told friends five <laughs> years ago that um, it wasn't going to survive. And my takeaway was once the NFL came back to Los Angeles with two teams, is that you know Pete Carroll was in a time no NFL in LA, all the resources, right. all the resources, all the time, sellouts. Um, and also, uh, people were spending their money on USC. People were totally supportive of USC. Uh, games were sellouts. Also, you didn't have a, a Pac-10 tournament you could lose. You didn't have to play a semifinal game. If you were great and you beat your Oregon States, Arizona States, and Washington, you ended up playing for the national championship if somebody <laughs> thought you were good enough. So it's a different time. Um, and, and so I'm not, uh, I, not that I'm not bothered. I'm bummed out about the Pac-12. But I, sure. it was, it, it's a SEC Big Ten money is just greater. How is that viewed in the yeah. South? How do you look at it? You guys always think we're soft out here anyway, but how is it viewed <laughs> that the four best teams are basically going to join the enemy in the Big Ten? Well, I don't know if I want any of my uh, Southern friends to know that I'm actually originally from Los Angeles. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't want to be perceived as soft. I don't think you are necessarily. I do think that there is a bit of a perception that when it's good against good and best against best, the likelihood of the SEC winning that game is higher than that of what we see sometimes from the Big Ten. I mean, Ohio State did beat Alabama in 14, has beaten the SEC teams, came within a field goal away of probably being the national champion last year. But those have been more few and far between, even dating back to the 2006, 2007, when the Big Ten just had a difficult time matching up on an annual basis against the best that the SEC had to offer. That's why the SEC won every championship from 08 all the way up until 2013 when Florida State finally brought it home. So I think that will be kind of an interesting evaluation. It's going to be a tug of war. I mean, we don't like them. They don't like us type of mentality for Big Ten fans and for SEC fans. Some will pound their chest about the money earned. Some will pound their chest about the ratings. Everyone's seemingly trying to find an edge. But at the same time, I still feel like the edge – is that both leagues are beyond elite. It's just whether or not now the Big Ten, which doesn't have as much talent density as the SEC, if they'll be able to go south and attract kids up to the north to play at some of those places with a few less Division I-level high-caliber prospects that they would normally have at their disposal in the SEC. Like South Carolina goes down the street. They can get 15 guys that can play high-level D1 ball. Iowa might have to go 250 miles in every direction, and they might not find that many. So I think it's just a little bit more difficult when it comes to the recruiting pipeline. But if the identities are clearly established in the Big Ten, I think they can play with anybody. I love Saban. I think sometimes he can be um, – if Nick wants to talk about something, he's going to go to the podium – and he's going to find something that can get him into what he really wants to talk about. He does this all the time. <laughs> about three times a year, it's like, I'm going to talk about Transfer Portal. I don't care what your question is. I'm going to bring it up. And there have been two different occasions where he's complained about the NIL. And he said, you know, it's not even. It's not fair. And my takeaway has always been, that's a message. And my, my gut feeling was, he's a little concerned about Texas. That the fact that Texas money is like USC can't compete with it. Phil Knight in Oregon can't compete with it. The Longhorns have two to three billionaire donors. And that when Perfect. Nick talks about the NIL, my takeaway is he, he's doing some battles with Sark. And some of these, they're wrestling people away. I mean, they're getting great recruits. 
That's my take. What is yours when he complains about the NIL? Because Alabama's collective, I'm sure, is just fine. Why is he doing that? <laughs> I, I think it's as much calling to rally the troops of his own fan base. Yeah. Everyone made a big deal about the argument between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban back in the summer of 22. It was never about Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban. It was never about Alabama against Texas A&M. What he was doing and what he thought was a controlled environment amongst friends and family, unknowing that there was televisions there and all this other stuff, he was basically saying, hey, look, this, these guys, look at the recruiting class they were just able to bring home. You guys better step it up. That was a call to action right. for his own fan base, I think more so than it was being frustrated with the current system. Look, I mean, are there as many billionaire donors in the state of Alabama as there are in the state of Texas? No, but I would be willing to probably go probably on the record and saying I'd be willing to bet that people worth five or six hundred million are putting up a higher percentage of their net worth to make sure that Alabama succeeds than maybe in Texas or in California or other places. It just means a lot in this particular state. So I will be interested to see how that all unfolds and, and how the arms race really ends up working out. I'm really actually more interested, though, not as much in NIL, but what would you do if you were one of those teams right now that is perceived to not have that war chest of NIL at your disposal? If you're behind as far as your... You're, as far as your approach right now and your television contract, I don't want to say Florida State and Clemson because I think they have enough resources to be able to support them on the recruiting trail. Just look at how they've fared in recent years. But what message would you send if you were one of those teams that was lacking behind and not a part of the big two or hopefully en route to the big two? When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. 
I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Greg, my belief is, is that college football is going to become a little bit like college basketball, that the playoff is going to be a big chunk of the sport. It will go to 12, then I think it will go to 16 or 24. Now, people are concerned that it'll ruin the college football regular season, and here's why it won't. Because, Greg, March Madness did not kill college basketball's regular season. We watched Leitner. We watched the Running Rebels. We watched Georgetown. We had March Madness. What has killed college basketball is one-and-done culture. The right. quality's not good. The playoff's not going to hurt college football. Because you watch LSU play Georgia, there's 34 NFL players on the field. Because of the cultural reality of college football, you have to play three years. Most guys play four. You have grown men playing. People think by adding to the playoff, it'll hurt college football's regular season. And I said this two days ago on my show. Texas is playing Bama. You're not watching? Really? <laughs> Georgia's playing LSU or Oklahoma. You're not watching? Really? USC's at Michigan. You're watching, and you're watching, even though they may meet again in the playoff, you're watching because Caleb Williams is going to be against their first-round quarterback pick. It's Harbaugh Lincoln-Riley. Play End-of-year playoffs don't kill the sport. Lack of quality has killed college basketball. Hell, Victor Wembanyama, he didn't even play college basketball. Scoot Henderson, <laughs> Jalen Green. So as long as you're forced to go to college, I'm going to watch Georgia, Bama, LSU, Texas, Oklahoma, USC, Michigan, Ohio State. So, But I do think, Greg, to your initial question, the bottom part of that, 10, 11, 12, that's going to be the area where an Oregon State can win that Mountain West if that happens, and they can get in. You're going to get four from the SEC, four from the Big Ten, one or two from the Big 12. But instead of getting like Cincinnati and we argue about it, you'll get two of those. You'll get two of those. And so I, I, I think what will happen is we're going to do 12 for about four years. It's going to make everybody a fortune and everybody's going to go, all right, let's go to 16. <laughs> and it won't hurt the sport. You're going to watch Auburn, Alabama, even if you played a second time. Greg, you and I have watched March Madness since we were kids. If right. Duke and Carolina play in the Elite Eight for the fourth time, we're watching. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're right. There's no denying that. But I am curious your thoughts. Are we getting to a point in the NIL era in the college football world where they're looking at the top 25? The coaches poll came out the other day and people are saying, all right, how many teams can win it? And people aren't getting past five right now as far as teams that can actually win the championship. Now, can a Caleb Williams elevate his team to a level that is just unrecognizable and maybe pull off two upsets and route to a championship? Sure. But the Vince Young taking over the game against USC back in 05 doesn't feel like it's as capable nowadays. Do you still think that Cinderella or a run like a Cinderella is possible in college football? Yeah, I, I do, because I think um, the SEC's always had more elite athletes, but the game used to be um, tighter and smaller, and that 
Nick Saban could suffocate you. I watched Ohio State play Georgia. And just because of those receivers for Ohio State, Ohio State and C.J. Stroud, they moved that ball. I thought they were the right. better team that day. <laughs> right. Caleb Williams, Quinn Ewers, C.J. Stroud. The game is, is, you know, if you go back, Greg, and go back to Nebraska when they were winning titles, they had one receiver wide. Right. I mean, everybody was jammed up on the size <laughs> of my screen. The game is so fast and so wide, and so many young players now want to be quarterbacks or wide receivers that nobody, including Nick Saban or Georgia, is going to cover Marvin Harrison. You can't do it. And so I think the USC's and the Texas's and the Notre Dame's may need to have a Caleb Williams or a Vince Young. Okay, they have to make up something, right? Stetson Bennett's good. Caleb Williams is different. Trevor yeah. Lawrence beats Bama. Those schools to beat the SEC King have to be better at quarterback and probably transcendent. You know, a Trevor Lawrence, that, that's a different, Caleb's a different kind of number one pick. I mean, Baker was a number one pick, Caleb. That's not close. Right. <laughs> and I do think the field is so spread now and the offensive coaching is so good that if you have that superstar quarterback and you're 85% of Georgia's roster, Bama's roster, you can win. I watched Tennessee last year drop a, was it like a 50-burger on Alabama? They couldn't right. stop them with Hendon Hooker. I, I, that's, they've scored 52. Look at you. I mean, uh, thanks for rubbing it in and bringing it up. I appreciate, appreciate the reference. <laughs> uh, I am curious your thoughts on this because I don't think anyone in the world does a better job with analogies and being able to recreate the idea and the visual. As I'm listening to you, you can sum up something up. And I'm like, how did he come up with that? And I tried to do my best Colin Cowherd impression and said, if you put too much on the quarterback's shoulders, it's like the quarterback is the bicep and all you do are curls. Meanwhile, your triceps are atrophy. Your pecs are atrophy. Your legs are atrophy. If you put too much on that position, it's going to actually result in the rest of your team not being as good. Now, it's totally opposite from what you just described, but I think there's a real analogy to be made at, say, Alabama, maybe even USC to a certain extent last year. At Ohio State at times, especially on defense, back in the end of the Urban Meyer era, early early era of, of what Ryan Day is doing. Dwayne has says their defense fell off. I mean, other things, the run game has at times fallen off. Do you think that there's a possibility that if you put too much on your quarterback, the rest of the roster actually won't be competitive enough to maybe win the national championship? Well, a twofold. I had Urban Meyer on my show today, and I made this point. And Urban even said, he goes, you know, that's actually a really good point. I said, Ohio State's receiver recruiting is so good now. They only take yeah. five stars that they've become less physical as a team. Because you have to get those players the ball or they're not going to go to Ohio State. And I said to Urban, I watch Ohio State. And it's almost like, okay, we got to give Marvin eight looks. We got to give this could not. And I said, I feel like Ohio State is not a finesse team. Ask Georgia. But there's a they're not, they're not quite sure what they are. Simultaneously, Michigan has doubled down on physical play and running, and now they've separated between the two. And another point on this, I said this years ago on the air, I said the downside to making the NFL so quarterback dependent, and all this, Greg, is based on the CTE check the NFL wrote for almost a billion dollars. They changed the rules. They Literally now the middle of the field is offense. You can't hit anybody except the running back. (laughs) And I said the downside to this sport, it'll be good for fantasy players and ratings. 
But if you don't have a star quarterback, no chance. we know you're done. And you look at the Super Bowl bubble. Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Lamar, Jalen Hurts. I mean, Trevor Lawrence. That bubble used to feel like 15 teams. It feels like seven. I mean, Kirk Cousins is good. But in this day and age, he's simply not good enough. Dak's good. He's not good enough. And so I, I do think, to your point of atrophying, due to safety reasons, the NFL and college football to a lesser degree is so quarterback reliant and driven. You don't want football. That's Canadian football. You can only win right. with passing. We don't want that. I want defense. I like when Georgia rocks people. Those Georgia Notre Dame games were physical and intense in line of scrimmage. That's what separates us from yeah. the CFL. So I, 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 I do think physicality is still a huge. I mean, listen, the best offensive line wins most NFL yeah. games. If you have a competent quarterback and you control the clock, you win most games. At least to a certain. I've gotten to the point in college football, though, because of the advent of spread and no huddle and all that stuff. It's almost like offensive line play. As long as you're always on a liability. Now, in the NFL, it's different. Those pass rushers, when you got – you know, 35-year-old Von Miller still wrecking havoc. Like, I mean, we were talking about guys that are just different. And not everybody has a guy like that on the end of the line of scrimmage. Now, the SEC, yeah, most teams do. Even Mississippi State, Vanderbilt had a guy last year that was legit. Kentucky always has two or three. Big Ten, Ohio State's got them. Michigan's got them. Michigan State occasionally has them. Penn State absolutely has them. We haven't seen someone at SC or UCLA. UCLA's got one. Washington's got two. But you don't see that down and down a great, unbelievable defensive front to where your offensive line has to be rock solid or else your quarterback's going to get killed. So I maybe it's coming yeah. down in that direction a little bit as the talent starts to separate. But I don't see the depth of defensive line talent in the college game that we do in the NFL. No, I see it in the SEC. You know, the state of Louisiana probably has 6 million people that live in it, and they have eight good D1, D-line prospects a year, 8 to Probably. 12. California's got, California's got 38 million people. We have yeah. three. I mean, some of it, Greg, I've said is diet. You know, the West Coast, it's just health and wellness. You know, you grew up in California. Health and wellness out in California. I mean, like I, I say this, I had lunch with somebody today. And he's a Californian and he lives in the, you know, he lives in a different part of the country. He goes, he goes, you come back to California. It's like, does anybody eat out here? Like every. <laughs> He's like, offensive lineman in high school are 255. It's like, and so I, I just think other parts of the country, um, they just, you know, the SEC produces more, Midwest produces them, Northeast does. I, I always, you know, I just, I kind of feel like this college football season, I'm really excited because I, I was known when I was at ESPN as a college football guy. Then I thought the sport got really insular and very Southern. And, you know, I would say the SEC is the best, but when you're a syndicated talk show host, you have to talk about national yeah. sports. I talk a lot of NFL. I'll talk a UFC fight. For about seven to eight, maybe 10 years, college football, once USC eroded, it felt like the sport was down yeah. to three teams, Ohio State and two SEC teams. I actually think Texas this year, Michigan this year, and USC can play no with doubt. anybody. Don't know if they can, but I think they match up. You know. Alex Grinch, the coordinator for USC, has got to prove himself. He's got three NFL bodies up front. They had none last year. So 
due to the transfer portal, they got three Sunday guys because uh, their corners and safeties are fine. They have maybe the best safety in the country, Kalen Bullock. Their offense is exceptional. Uh, they've gone out and gotten NFL bodies on the O-line. So I always feel like with the transfer portal, you can fix one side of the football per year. So USC fixed their offense right. last year. They went and fixed their defense this year. It takes about two years. Without the transfer portal, it took Nick Saban a third recruiting class to yeah. get it rolling, right? Like you were part of that. Now it takes two years. And I think Brian Kelly, first year, got the offense kind of figured out. Now he's going to get the defense figured out. So I have Michigan facing LSU in the championship. And I don't think LSU is the best SEC team. I don't think they're the deepest. But I love the coach. I love the quarterback. And I looked at their schedule and I'm like, I think LSU is going to, I think they're going to, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of people knocking each other off. I like LSU a lot. If LSU wins the national championship, what's the headline in the LA Times or wherever, your local paper, the Manhattan Beach Post, whatever it is? Well, I think it would be a real story because Brian Kelly right. was at Notre Dame and Notre Dame has a big, has resonance here. And I and I think if they beat a Michigan and it was a competitive game, I think it would be a win for college football. It's SEC winning's not bad. SEC beating Michigan State in the playoff by 40 right. is bad. So if it's LSU 35-33, I got no problem with that. USC losing. Um, I don't I don't want USC and Sam Darnold playing Ohio State in two series in. It doesn't even look like they're right. playing the same sport. <laughs> so I don't think the SEC winning is bad. I think them dominating and suffocating teams is bad for the sport. So I, and I don't think we'll see that this year. I think Quinn Ewers, Cable, uh, uh, Caleb Williams, uh, the Michigan kid, I think those guys can move the ball on anybody. Listen, Ohio State, I thought they outplayed Georgia. I did. I, I really, I thought that yeah, I mean, it'd, be you know, hard, it'd be hard for us to push back on that. I don't know if all of the guys could. Yeah. So I think we're in a good spot. I think going forward, the really big brands not in the SEC have really good coaches. And I think that's good. I think Sark, uh, you know, you can say what you want about him. He can recruit and he can coach offense. Lincoln Riley is very clever. Harbaugh's unorthodox, but more than competent. Dabo Sweeney's great. So I think we're in a good space right now going forward in college. As long as FSU and Clemson stay in the ACC, because you thought I was going to not even catch up, catch that for a second. What, what's stopping them from going? Yeah. You said they were going to the SEC. What's stopping Clemson and Florida State from maybe going to the Big Ten? I don't think they feel like the Big Ten. So I... First of all, the Big Ten, and this sounds snooty, but they view themselves as sort of an academic elite conference. Washington, USC, UCLA are considered really elite universities. So was Northwestern, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin's considered a public ivy. I'm not knocking Florida State Clemson. Those feel like football powers. One of the things I appreciate about the SEC is they don't lose any sleep. They love their football. They're not, you know, they're not going to pretend they're this or that. They, not that universities don't matter, but they're all in on football. It drives the cultural bus and the and the revenue bus. I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? I, I lived out in Tampa. I covered the Gators. I love the passion. I think the Pac-12 got way too precious. Yeah. That's why they've unraveled. I mean, Cal football, Cal cares more about rugby than football some years. So I can't take them seriously. Yeah. But I do think the Big Ten would love Notre Dame. And if Notre Dame came in, would consider Stanford. But I think some of their school presidents, they view themselves a certain way. And whether it's snooty or not, you may disagree, but I kind of feel 
that they they think Washington and USC and UCLA fit their academic profile. I think you're 100% right. We've said it before. The only pretentious fan base in the SEC would be Vanderbilt. Everyone else is kind of like, man, we're just happy to be here. Let's win the party, right? Let's win the game, win the party. Let's see what happens. But I don't know. I'm docking my degree at the time, but I'm not. I mean, we're proud of our football. That's what it is, man. This has been awesome. This has been a great conversation. I so appreciate you, brother. By the way, I know three families. In fact, one of my dearest friends, Trace Gallagher at Fox News, dear friend for 20 years. His daughter goes to Alabama. Loves it. So I don't know what it is, but Manhattan Beach, California has a lot of kids that went to Bama. I'm not I'm not joking. And my daughter went in a, um, a leadership conference years ago to Cape Town, South Africa with a, about 15 SEC girls and uh, loved it. Loved the girls. And, and she, you know, she considered it. She considered going to the South. So it's really interesting. I think there's there's a mystique about the South and country music and college football. It's almost mysterious to kids out West. Um, and I think people are very attracted to it. I know a lot of families. Uh, you know, I work out at a, a gym around the corner from my house. And Alabama is a topic all the time during wow. the football season. Uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of roll tied shirts in my little beachy California gym. So, and a lot of that Saban, it's the greatest dynasty ever. And it's, it's noteworthy, right? I, I, mean, I think it is. But then again, I live 45 minutes from Tuscaloosa. So, <laughs> not exactly in the same part of town as you, buddy. But this has been awesome, man. This is a great conversation. I appreciate you so much. Love what you do. Love what you're doing with the volume. Appreciate you guys. And, and we look forward to continuing to watch your, your pod and your show and listen on FS1, all that other fun stuff, my friend. Yep, man. You've been a big hit. You're you're the morning guy. Is it KJOX? Uh, WJOX. Yeah, WJOX. So, yeah, doing my that. Bad. <laughs> East Coast. Yeah, it's it's the big stick in the morning. And uh, uh, I remember when you were up for that, we were at the volume looking at you and cons- because we were going to bring you on to the volume. And somebody said he's up for a huge morning radio show. Uh, in the South. And I remember they gave me the call letters and I'm like, oh yeah, that's the big morning show. That's, that's going to be, and I think you made the right choice. I, I say this all the time. I'm a radio guy at heart. They put me on TV, but I'm not a, I don't look like a TV guy. I'm a radio guy. <laughs> There's nothing like connecting to a radio audience. Storytelling, it's the very best. It's the best. Uh, but you at least have the gift of gab. I have voice for radio or voice for TV or whatever they say, voice for print Face for radio, something along the lines of that. I don't know exactly how it works, but at least you, you got it good, man. I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm following your lead, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, great seeing you. Appreciate you, man. The Volume. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. 
In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.